so I kept reading and listening and then went forward in the podcast. Then I went to your website and I looked at the size you have for the different properties and the numbers. So I started learning about the numbers and what they meant. And being the skeptic I am and being a techie, I actually wrote a program to go and scrape your website and other people's websites and redo the calculations just so I could prove it out myself. And eventually I came to the conclusion that real estate is a great deal. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 1398, 1398, and thank you for joining us today as the world is in the red. Wow. Yesterday, of course, you saw that it seems like the stock market is finally paying attention to the coronavirus scare. Let's hope this passes and isn't too serious. Uh, certainly, humanity has been threatened with all kinds of very scary things over the years. And hopefully this will just be another one of them that goes away rather quickly. A vaccine is developed. We will see. We will see. But this does seem to be a little bit different because it is more contagious. It's asymptomatic. So any of us can be a carrier without feeling sick. You know, hopefully when you get the flu or you get a cold, you do the right thing and you isolate yourself so that you don't spread it. With this one, the carriers don't know they're sick for maybe two weeks. And that's one of the big dangers. There are other things that make it so terribly significant. But what we will see the markets are still very down today. We'll see if they end the day that way or not. But thankfully, the real estate market is not sensitive to things like this. In fact, I don't have my head in the sand here. Of course, if the entire economy is hurt, that will ultimately trickle through to everything, including the real estate market in one way or another. But, you know, it's it's interesting that you see what's going on in, in China, South Korea, Italy, and this push for people to stay in their homes. In fact, in China, they are somewhat brutally locking people in their homes. You know, the home, right? The fundamental thing that people need, that shelter is becoming even more significant in a terrible thing like this. The World Health Organization is not using the P word yet. What is the P word? The P word, of course, is pandemic. We will see if they actually do use that word. Uh, Japan says they're moving forward with the Olympics, as usual, just adding extra precautions and so forth, but nothing being canceled. The show must go on. You know, we'll see how this all pans out. It's really um, quite amazing. But again, we played that little clip at the beginning of the show on yesterday's episode about from our client, Sean Carroll. I think he makes a very good point. And he was on the show talking about his real estate investing journey before. Just that message he sent me yesterday was pretty enlightening when it comes to something like this. 
Hey, Jason, just wanted to send you a quick message of gratitude. I woke up this morning to all of the panic in the stock market, seeing that the market was down a thousand points and um, CNBC was getting me all worked up. And then I realized, wait, I'm not in that game. I'm in the real estate game. And I just, even with its challenges, I'm so grateful that I got into the game and got in with properties that make sense because the rent income keeps coming in and real estate is certainly not a perfect investment, but I'll tell you what, I don't wake up in panic because I just lost um, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars pretty much overnight, which I know a lot of people did. So thank you. Glad we connected. And I'm glad to be in the income property game instead of the Wall Street game for my future. And I would definitely say that is a very good message. So thank you, Sean. And it is so true. I remember one moment that really hit me. I was having lunch with actually an executive for a real estate company, of all things, in Newport Beach, California. We were at the Daily Grill on Jamboree Road. Uh, I'm not sure that Daily Grill is still there, but at the time it was. And I remember as we were getting up from our lunch, there was a, a TV in, in the bar area and he stopped to look at the TV and they had, you know, the stock market on there. And I thought, this is interesting that it this is a real estate executive, a real estate company executive with a big major real estate company you've all heard of. And uh, I, I will not mention their name. And he had taken me to lunch and as we're leaving, he stops for a couple of minutes to watch that television set in the bar area of the restaurant to watch the stock market. And, you know, I, I just remember that kind of hit me. And I noticed it in him a little bit, too, that it kind of determined his mood. And I thought, isn't that terrible to have your mood fluctuate so much on a daily basis, depending on you know, what something completely out of your control is doing, the stock market. And as humans, you know, we're set up to to be negative, right? That's the, the way we are wired. Why is it that way? Well, I would hypothesize that we are wired to look for the bad, the negative, because through most of history, for eons, that's what we needed to look at to survive. It wasn't about looking for growth opportunities and holistic wellness and self-actualization. It was about looking for looking for things that would threaten our survival, right? And so the bad news is what we would be more attuned to than the good news. And I'll give you an example of that in, in real estate investing. How many of you, in fact, I almost never hear this from our dear clients, right? I, I almost never get a message that says, hey, Jason, I just wanted to let you know it's the first of the month. All my rents came in and I'm happy. <laughs> we don't get that message very often. Uh, the, the message we do get is, hey, the tenant is late this month. The tenant didn't pay. I've got to evict the tenant, whatever. I've got a bad tenant, right? Because that's our conditioning as humans. We're all this way, right? No matter how positive we try to be, we're not going to change many, many, many thousands and thousands of years or millions of years 
of evolutionary programming that taught us to look for the negative, to look for the threats to our survival. That's just the the uh, predisposition we're all going to have, right? But, you know, we overcome a lot of our evolutionary programming, obviously. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's still there, and we've got to be mindful of that. Because sometimes it serves us, and sometimes it hurts us. And that's, put your head down, you might get it shot off. Watch out, the car might hit you in the street, right? Versus, here's this opportunity, right? Here's how I can make $10,000. We'll do more to protect what we have than we will to gain an opportunity to gain more. Because that's just the, the way we are programmed. And we needed to be programmed that way for survival. We probably wouldn't have survived had we not been programmed that way. That's what weeded us out and why we have the results of the gene pool we have today, right? Those who didn't think about that and didn't look for those those negatives didn't survive and they were weeded out of the gene pool, right? Depending on how much you want to talk about Darwinism or not, okay? <laughs> you know, there's conflicting theories on all this stuff, right? But before we get to our guest today and we talk about the markets and what happened yesterday, I just wanted to share with you one thing. And this is a, uh, a news article about entitled Nation Makes Stunning Gold Find, or does it? And reports are out of India. They're a little confusing. They say that India may have discovered the motherlode of gold mines, over 3,000 tons across multiple mines, worth about $167 billion. Now, they're not sure they discovered this. There's debate about whether or not they have discovered this giant gold mine. But here's what I want to tell you. One of our clients many years ago, who actually has been on the show, uh, his name is Gary, and he was on the show a long, long time ago, I think maybe a couple of times over the years, and was very much interested in real estate investing and growing his portfolio. And he said to me something that I thought was pretty profound. I've kind of embellished it a little bit, but you know, the basic idea is the same, okay? He said, Jason, they can always discover a new gold mine. They can always discover a new oil find. They can always discover a new silver mine or platinum mine or palladium mine. They can always discover many things. There can always be a new stock created in the stock market, meaning there's no limited supply of stocks. Or, or bonds, or any financial instrument. But one thing we know for sure is that all real estate has been discovered. All real estate on earth has now been discovered. It has been mapped. It has been cataloged. We know what's there and what's not. Okay? We know this. This is a for sure thing. We have now, in 2020, we have mapped the entire planet, and it's all been discovered. So there is a limited supply. What was it? Will Rogers that said there, you know, buy land because they're not making any more of it. And uh, in fact, if you believe in global warming, they're making less of it, right? We're going to have less land in the future. So, and, and there is a lot of land in the world, no question about it. 
However, we are packaged commodities investors, and at least we do have a limited supply of land. And if we start mining the moon and we start mining asteroids, which uh, probably will happen in the not-too-distant future, that puts downward pressure on the price of all of those precious metals and those types of things that they think they will find on asteroids and so forth. And also... A lot of this stuff now can be made in the lab. Do you know they can make diamonds who have this, you know, inherent value through scarcity and, you know, mostly a marketing scheme by De Beers, uh, but that's another discussion. They can make them in labs and they are not cubic zirconia. They are real diamonds. They can make a real diamond in a lab. And there's talk that maybe they can make gold in a lab too. Hey, look, they can make sheep in a lab and they can make meat in a lab, right? Memphis Meats, I had them on the show. Uh, all of this technology changes, but, you know, real estate is a pretty simple technology and that's one of the absolute beauties of it. You know, hey, look, at I say income property is the most historically proven asset class in the entire world. So check out jasonhartman.com, subscribe to the Property Cast podcast so you get proformas of properties uh, when they become available sent right to your mobile device or your computer like a podcast episode just like this but uh, an actual property proforma and feel free to call us anytime at 1-800-HARTMAN and our investment counselors will be happy to help you find good income properties. Remember, you won't see all of them on the website because the market is moving fast, inventory is scarce, and you need to be working with one of our investment counselors to really find you the deals. So uh, reach out to them through any web form on our website. We'll be glad to help you. Okay, without further ado, let's get to our guest today and and let's find out, uh, get a little insight on what is going on with the coronavirus scare and the financial markets. Here we go. It's my pleasure to welcome Joffrey Lefebvre. He is CEO of Lowry Research, and we thought it would be very timely to have him on, uh, given what is going on in the markets and the economy. Joffrey, welcome. How are you doing? Very good, Jason. How are you? Good, good. Uh, give our listeners a sense of geography. Well, where are you located? We're in uh, Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. So oh. sunny South Florida. It's nice during the winter, but uh, it's it's we've been, very been nice. Getting a lot of noise. Yeah, it is yeah. paradise down here. I only moved here two years ago, so uh, we're we're, yeah. we're nearly neighbors. Good stuff. Well, hey, um, yep. you talk a lot and have done a lot of research on how bear markets and recessions begin how they end, how recoveries begin. Most would say we're long into this business cycle. And I want to jump into all of that because it's fascinating. But we do have to talk about some timely stuff. Today, uh, I, when I landed in Miami, I just couldn't believe opening up my stock app on the phone and seeing literally every indicator, every one of them, uh, two screens down was red. You know, right. are, are the markets finally paying attention to coronavirus and they were just sloughing it off before or, or what's going on? You know, a lot of times headlines are an excuse for, for people that are looking to sell. So I think that's what the coronavirus has provided uh, people, at least today, mid-February. We've seen some short-term weakness in the markets developing. And so I think that tends to be the headline. It's usually not the underlying cause. Uh, usually the underlying cause is, is 
folks that are looking to sell are, are find it as an opportunity or, or an excuse to sell. Yeah, you know, so, that, that, that's, uh, that's interesting that you say that because, you know, I've long said, and maybe you agree with this, that, you know, we make decisions emotionally, then later justify them with logic and rationale. We yeah. are we are humans, mm -hmm. we're emotional creatures, and, uh, you know, there's a reason we have those emotions because they, they're there to serve us in some ways, but they're not always... They're not always uh, helpful yeah. to us, right? Uh, is is right. so th yeah. that is is that what you're alluding to? Yeah, that and you know, newspapers, uh, TV shows need an excuse for why the markets went down. So a lot of times they'll they'll search it out, and coronavirus tends to be the one that makes the most sense to people today. That's the latest. You know, and it, man. Yeah. There could be a piece of it that that people are selling, you know, because they they have a little bit of fear of that, but. I think it's important to understand the context of a day like today in the grand scheme of bull and bear markets. Our research goes back to 1938, and what we have seen over that time period is a consistent pattern of what we see at market tops. And market tops is more of a process than it is a you know a development of, of a disease in a faraway country. We see a pattern of weakness over four to six months, usually beginning with the smaller capitalization stocks, the riskier stocks, fall out of favor. But when we see investors start selling those stocks and reinvesting funds into the blue chip stocks, the, the higher quality stocks, there's a process that we use that we look at, you know, called the advanced decline line. An advanced decline line is pretty simple in its construction. It's is basically on a daily basis nets out the number of advancers and the number of decliners and plots that on a daily basis. In a strong market, what we see is an advanced decline line matching the capitalization weighted uh, indexes such as S&P 500 and Dow Jones Industrial Average. In weak markets prior to just about every market top since 1929, what we've seen is a divergence in that. And what I mean by divergence is we'll see a new high in those capitalization-weighted price indexes, but we'll see a lower value mm -hmm. in the advanced decline line. Usually that happens between four to six months prior to the final market top, okay? okay. And so, so what we've seen in the current market is yeah, that, that, that was my next question. Where are we now? Everybody's yeah, asking right, with bated breath. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, the big setup. So, where are we now? So, we saw a slight divergence from the January highs to the February highs. That was more of an indication of short term weakness, nothing in the range of the four to six months that typically we would see. So, we would classify the current decline as a pullback as a run-of-the-mill correction because what we've seen um, in, through our various indicators is that the enthusiasm of investors was waning from that January high to the February high. And so, you know, we expect this to last maybe either today or, or another couple days and come back. And there's an interesting study we've done looking at the stock market and when do we know there's kind of a bottom? And this kind of gets to bear market bottoms, but mm -hmm. it also can apply to short-term corrections. And there's an interesting concept that's been studied 
over the last 75 years of, of market history. And what we see is towards the bottom of a correction or a bear market, we see what we call 90% downside days. Let me define that. Uh, a 90% downside day is when 90% of the stocks on the, in the Lauer universe are to the downside for the day. When you think about that, what that implication is, is it's really kind of a capitulation, um, a way to, to measure a capitulation where people were holding on to stocks, people weren't willing to sell, and then, you know, fear crept in or um, something and else they, crept they, in. They finally unloaded them. Maybe they were looking for their coronavirus excuse, like you mentioned, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, so they sell without knowing, okay? And usually that level is about 90%. Today, we're above 90%. So we would say, you know, today's probably a good chance we, we have a low here or, or in the next few days. But the most important part and the most interesting part is what we see following a 90% down day. And that is a 90% upside day. So that's kind of the reverse where people have been waiting on the sidelines, waiting, waiting. And finally, you know, prices get so low that they're like, well, I can't ignore these. These are bargains and rush in um, full tilt and, um, you know, buy it up. So when they rush in, does that mean does that mean we're going? You know, we've ended a recession and we're out of a bear market. Is that a for a full yeah on for, for long, yeah for longer term for longer term bear markets and bull markets? There are other things that coincide with that, but generally, what you've seen at every major market bottom is that ninety percent down day and ninety percent up day, or usually, especially in severe bear markets like we've seen in the last two years. You see multiple ninety percent down days followed by multiple ninety percent up days. Uh, did you did you um, mis- did you just misspeak when you said that severe bear markets last two years? The last two severe bear markets. Oh, the last two severe bear. Uh, okay, sorry, I thought you said yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> so, sure. yeah. No, no. I, I, if I did, I'm, right. I apologize. Okay. Yeah. No, the the dot com bear market and then the uh, Great Recession. Okay, so uh, so early two thousands, two thousand seven. Yeah, yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah, so you know, you know, we saw the major market indexes in both of those cases. You know, uh, shedding almost half of their value. You know, on a shorter term basis, one day a ninety percent down day and then a ninety percent up day uh, could suffice. In a larger bear market cycle, we we would look for other indicators uh, in addition to those ninety percent down. Okay. Days. Okay. So in terms of that, you know, very simplistic. Where are we now? Question. Um, mm-hmm. Let's kind of go back to that to make sure the listeners know. Sure. You know, what you think, like, what is, uh, of course, a wild card, like a potential pandemic is, in, you know, very hard to know what that means, right? right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, we did have other scares in the past. You know, we had SARS, we had swine flu, we had bird flu, we had mad cow disease. I mean, I don't know how many, there's been right. lots of things throughout history. And maybe this one is worse. Hopefully it's not. But that one component of it, any more thoughts you have on it? But then also just your general thoughts about what will the next uh, year look like? Uh, You know, of course, then you've got an election year to layer on top of the complexity. (laughs) And and two diametrically opposed candidates, by the way, which, uh, you know, couldn't be more different, right? We kind of have a a six-month 
kind of the time frame that we we look at and, and like i said we haven't seen we've seen about a month divergence but we also kind of our bread and butter is called our our buying power index and our selling pressure index and that measures in the market the strength of buyers versus the strength of sellers again it's a little bit different than the real estate market when i say strength of buyers usually in the real estate the strength of buyers means that you can get a good price Strength of buyers, uh, when we talk about it from a market perspective, is that the buyers are active in the market, sending stock prices up. You know, they are the ones on the on the ledger that are, are constantly uh, buying. And so, what we currently see on our buying power index and selling pressure index is that the buying power is in the dominant position. So that's telling us that buyers are more active in the market, and they've been more active in the market since the uh, low in December 2018. So what that's telling us is is there's still a lot of buyers, and there's not a lot of sellers. So something like we see today is the short-term sellers, um, again, sellers that have been looking for an excuse to sell. But overall, we see a strong demand uh, component to the market. And so we expect uh, new highs in the months ahead. You know, I think we're about four to, with this, with the correction today. We're we're about four to five percent down from the all-time highs. But I expect in the next within the next month or two, new highs in the major price indexes. Okay. Wow. Okay. Uh, all right. Yeah. yeah you, you know, and from there, what we'll look at is again all those metrics and seeing whether it's the like I talked about before the beginning of a bear market and that beginning of that process where the stocks that people are buying to push those to new highs are just the blue chip stocks, you know, the high quality stocks, or are they buying riskier assets, the smaller cap stocks, a broader range of stocks. If that's the case, you know, we're, we're still in a healthy market uptrend, uh, which, you know, lends to a healthier economy. There's always kind of a unique relationship between the stock market and and the economy, um, with a few exceptions. Most recessions have have been led by a downturn in in the market prior to the recession. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the, mar- um, the market is that leading indicator for for yeah. the economy, right? So, yeah, I, so, I was going to ask you about your your view of the broader economy. That was my next question, actually. So, you segued nicely into that. So, it looks like your view of the broader economy would be that it's looking good, right? Uh, would that be correct? Yes, you know, definitely. As of January, it was looking very strong. You know, we saw a little bit of weakness. From January to February, but like I said, you know, the overall health of the economy is looking good. We're seeing broad strength among various sectors. We're not seeing, even though technology is leading, and you hear that a lot. You know, technology is pushing the the stock market higher. People are only investing in technology. It's it's not. There's there's several sectors that are pushing up the market, and that's a signal, a sign of a of a healthy economy. I think there's, you know, basic materials and energy that are are the big laggards. You know, usually energy will be a signal for health of the economy, but that's kind of changed over the last 10 years, which with the, you know, sources of energy, energy uh, the consumption, how we consume energy, fracking, you know, the ability to turn on fracking a lot quicker than you were able to turn on wells, you know, 
20, 25 years okay, ago. Okay, so, so that's good. Unpack that one a little bit. So uh, sources of energy have changed. And in the past, energy was a good indicator of a strong economy, right? That's what you said? Yeah. 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 Okay. And we, so, you, so the sources have diversified a bit. And fracking, you can turn on and off more quickly than, you know, traditional old-fashioned oil drilling because you can find it in more places, I guess. That's probably the reason, right, for, for the fracking yeah. comment, I'm guessing. How do we evaluate that? What do we do with that? What, do we, what does it tell us now? Like, I mean, you know, we can just expand the energy index and say, okay, include solar and wind and, and fracking, right? Yeah. What, what's the, what do we, I don't understand what we do with that exactly. Yeah, I, I think what we do is ignore the weakness in energy because there's a tendency to say, yeah, everything looks good, but energy is weak, you know, and then when energy is weak, you know, the economy is weak. So I, okay, I think, okay, so, so when, I you think say, when you say energy is weak, I mean, are you sort of looking at the price of oil being only about 52 bucks or tell us about that a little more? Price, How price do we know oil energy is and, weak? Yeah. And, and the you know, energy stocks. Okay. Um, you know, because we're primarily a, an equity-based research firm. So, you know, when we look at uh, at our sectors, energy has been the laggard for, for some time. Again, I think that the best advice is to ignore that energy isn't part of the, the leadership of this market. Um, but but I do, I do want to ask you, kind of based on my previous comment, has the quantification of the energy metric, has that changed? Is the index different than it was, you know, more than 10 years ago, because now the energy sources are more diversified and energy is pretty cheap. Or is it the same index? And that's why you're saying ignore it, because it, it doesn't apply the same way today. I just want to make sure that's understood. We do in our index, we do include alternative energy, you know, but that's relatively small. The energy sector is more dependent on the price of oil. And so we see the weakness in oil that translates into weakness in the energy sector overall because okay. of the number of stocks that are involved with oil oh, yeah. is a lot more than alternative energy. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. Okay. So broader economy, you know, I, uh, when we talk about the economy, you're probably referring mostly to the U.S., and interestingly, yeah. uh, as the U.S. has always been sort of thought of as the Brinks truck of the world where you can, you know, park your money here, it's safe, you know, we have political stability, uh, et cetera. Bad news around the world, does that translate into good news for the U.S. Uh, as, uh, you know, there might be more foreign direct investment or any ways in which we benefit from that? And then, and then you know, you might want to tie it in because I definitely want to ask you about interest rates and, uh, you know, specifically negative interest rates in uh, many places? It definitely can be. You know, what we've seen over the last year and a half is that the U.S. markets have been strong from an equity perspective, strong compared to some of the emerging markets. But it's difficult to answer that uh, because we don't do a lot of global research. Something like the coronavirus could affect a country like China where they are shutting down, you know, factories and things like that. So that could affect investment into that country, which could mean more investment into this country. Displaced or, into the U.S. because it's not going there. Yeah, you know, okay. sure. sure. I, I, I think companies, too, would look at there's an increased risk of building a factory in China um, or a foreign country in that it, it could be possibly shut down by some sort of pandemic that may make a factory in North America or the United States uh, a little bit more attractive. 
Yeah, yeah, good um, point. Um, what about interest rates? I mean, we've got this incredibly cheap money. Yeah. Uh, we've got negative interest rates in uh, several countries. Uh, we've got a president who's, you know, really pushing the Fed to make sure the party doesn't end on his watch. <laughs> you know, right. what, are, what are your thoughts? Right. Yeah, yeah, nobody wants to take away the bunch balls. I think interest rates are just like every asset price that they're – that there has to be some external level of demand to push interest rates to where we're at. So I think globally there's enough fear of other assets such as, you know, equities. Um, you know, like I said, the last two bear markets have been, you know, shaved 50% off of, off of people's portfolios. That's, that, that doesn't, that's tough. doesn't leave your mind too quickly. Right. So, right. It doesn't. um, the, the, when the 401k uh, you know, becomes a 201k, you don't forget that yeah. easily, right? Yeah. There's a good story. Of our past president, Paul, had did a presentation at, you know, in 2009. He, he put up a, a um, I won't say the name of the, the provider, but it was one of the uh, target date funds, and it was target date retirement was 2010, and you know it lost you know 40% of its value. And, and the caption underneath was, "Sorry, keep working." So. Um, yeah. You know, there's still that fear. There's still that fear out there. So, I'm no expert in interest rates by far, but but I, you know, from what we we do from research here, is, you know, there's got to be some sort of demand to push that, uh, push those prices lower. Um, you know, but, and when you say is, prices lower, you mean the price of money, interest rates, right? I, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah I mean, okay. rates lower. Yeah. Rates lower. Yeah. Right. Right. Higher. Remember, folks. Um, uh, money, like anything else, like coffee beans and pork bellies and and copper wire, it's just a commodity. Okay. It's a it's a commodities market. So, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. There's certainly, government in, interference that, that plays a role. But it, you know, I, I think if I look at a risk in the next, you know, two to five years. For the United States in particular, I think it's, you know, uh, rising interest rates primarily because of the level of debt so that, that is held. Let, let me just unpack that one for a second before you go, and I know we have to wrap it up. But w rising interest rates would be a concern to you, but you're not making a prediction on that, are you? Because, I mean, no, it seems no, like no, now I, rates are just going down, but, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, no, I, I, yeah, I mean, it, no. I just, I, I, I just again, wanted to clarify you weren't making a prediction, yeah. but but if no, they no, did go up, it, it would be a concern, right? That's that's what you're saying. If it, Yeah, I think if, you know, interest rates rose appreciably, appreciably yeah. Um, that could be something that, again, we would see it on our end, again, from that slow process of people, you know, looking at interest rates, selling some of the riskier assets, getting into the the more quality assets. Mm -hmm. um, but that, that could definitely push us into, into a bear market. But no, I mean, so far we've seen no indication yeah. Of, everything's uh, looking everything's looking like money's going to get cheaper in other words or yeah. or at least stay cheap like it is okay good stuff yeah, and from, yeah go ahead yeah I, no i was just going to say from a us perspective we're one of the best uh, yields out there from a from a developed country so i can't see us i can't see interest rates rising uh well, too you know you know that while. that's interesting and, and just one more comment before you go i know we keep saying we're going to wrap up here but um yeah. a, a, fr a friend of mine really you know believes in this this melt-up uh theory that when you've got such low rates around the world 
And of course, the U.S. largest economy, biggest brand, you know, biggest military reserve currency, so many, so many things. And, and you know, just overall long-term reputation, uh, I guess, um, that you're going to see a lot more foreign money come here because you just can't get yield anywhere else. Yeah, no, I, you know, I think I think that that theory makes sense. We would be able to see that in, in kind of the graphs and mark and, and data that that we look at. But uh, yeah, that theory makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff, uh, Joffrey. Give out your website. Sure. We're uh, LowryResearch.com. That's L-O-W-R-Y Research.com. Excellent, uh, Joffrey. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.